0: Scripture today is taken from the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, As they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come again in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem together with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. This is the word of the
1: Lord. Today, we begin to look at the book of Acts for many months. I can I can remember years ago wanting to leave uh, the ministry environment of an established church and, and to get involved in the work of church planning. I... I, through some prayer and through some studying and reading and talking to other people, was convinced that was the best way for me to promote and advance the gospel of Christianity through church planning. I was also convinced it would be a good transition, a good change for my family. And so God uh, very much did nothing to promote that idea. I really, it was very much as though he was specifically working against the idea in many ways until he decided to move years later. And and once God decided to move, it was a complete change. It was as if doors just started opening, people just started appearing. People I knew and had known, people I'd never met before, people just started showing up in our lives. And in our ministry saying, this is a great idea. Resources started coming in. Money started coming in. And along with people came unity. Uh, we began to experience, up until this very day, a remarkable unity. Everybody who wanted to get involved was on the same page. And God began to show fruit. We, we could see results in the work and in the ideas. Up until this day, and we're all sitting here together. But in the years between, the years between me feeling, ah, oh, this would be a good plan, and God actually showing up and accomplishing his purposes, I had to learn how to wait. And I had to learn how to pray while I waited. Have you ever been in a situation where you chose to act? You chose, to, you chose to move before God did, and you would ask him and hope that he would accomplish your plans, that he would answer your plans as you would like them to be answered. Um, the Lord Jesus, in the opening of the book of Acts, the letter of Acts written by Luke, the guy who wrote the gospel of Luke, the Lord Jesus makes it clear to his apostles that the Holy Spirit is The initiator in all of God's movement, in all of the progression of the work of God, the Holy Spirit, and not us, is the initiator. What I hope you'll see today is that the Spirit of God acts and the people of God respond. Now, God has a plan that he is accomplishing by his Holy Spirit. It's a plan that he's going to accomplish through his people, though, but in his way and in his time. Now, God accomplishes his will by his Holy Spirit. The book of Acts is is really where the Holy Spirit comes into focus in the New Testament. It's in the book of Acts that the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God or the Spirit of Christ, same person, okay? It's in the book of Acts that the Holy Spirit really comes into prominence. He's actually mentioned four times right here in the opening of Luke's letter. It's the Holy Spirit you see in verse 2 that had been guiding Jesus' teaching all, all along. Jesus' wisdom and words, uh, it, it was all coming from the Holy Spirit within him. We also see that it is the Holy Spirit who is the Father's promise That Jesus had been talking about in John's gospel. Uh, My father will send to you. uh, In the original language the word was paraclete. uh, Meaning the father is going to send you a counselor. He's going to send you a helper. He's going to send you a comforter. When I leave you. We see in verse 5 that the apostles are going to be baptized by this Holy Spirit. There was John the Baptist who would baptize people with water. And Jesus is saying the Spirit is going to come and he's going to baptize you. And we don't know what that means here at the beginning of Acts. That comes later. But you begin to get a clue in verse 8 because it says that the Holy Spirit would give power to these apostles. Think of the book of Luke and the book of Acts as two parts of the same story. There is this man of prominence in ancient society in in the Greco-Roman world named Theophilus. We really don't know who he is, but Luke writes this letter to Theophilus. It kind of comes across as an apology, as an example of how, how God and Jesus Christ and Christians are in society for society's good. And and he was a a physician, and it is an excellent historical account of antiquity of the happenings of the first century world, specifically surrounding the man Jesus. Think of the Gospel of Luke as part one. And think of the book of Acts as part two, written by the same person. And in Luke's Gospel, it's all about the work of Jesus. But in the book of Acts, it's all about the Holy Spirit continuing Jesus's work. You've heard it said, you read your, if you open up your New Testament, you, you go to the passage where uh, Cynthia just read, and it says, the Acts of the Apostles. Think of this as the Acts of the Holy Spirit. That's what's really happening in these 28 chapters. You begin to see how the Spirit of God continued and is continuing the work of Jesus Christ. But remarkably, the Holy Spirit will continue the work of Jesus through the people of Jesus. That's what's incredible, is that God begins to accomplish his plan through ordinary people. Most of these guys, not all of them, most of them were just common fishermen, were blue-collar people. And through the Holy Spirit, they literally changed the world. God accomplishes his plan through, by his spirit, but through his people. Jesus says to them in verse 8, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. It's the spirit that's going to empower them to be witnesses. That's the word. The word martyr comes from the same Greek word for witness. This is what the Holy Spirit is going to do through these people. They're going to be the Holy Spirit's witnesses, which is to say that the Holy Spirit is going to tell the world about Jesus through their actions, through their words. So Jesus comes and lives the perfect human life and dies on the cross and rises from the dead. And the work of the Spirit is to tell the world that that all happened. The primary work of the Holy Spirit is to tell the world about who Jesus is and about what he's done and why it matters for us. And what Jesus is saying here is the Spirit is going to use you as witnesses. You're going to tell the world about me. And the Spirit is going to empower you to do this. I want to say two things about about verse 8. The first thing is God's power is not a self-serving power. When the Spirit of God blesses you with the power of God, it is not for your self-serving purposes. It is a sending power. It's a power to send. You can already see that there's a tone of outreach right in the first chapter. You can already see that God's Spirit is going to bless the apostles not simply for their own good, but for the benefit of those around them. There's, all, there's already this inclusive unity taking place around them. They haven't sequestered themselves as, as a secret society. They're not setting themselves up as elites. Because you can see already that there are people with them that are involved in their living. And in their ministry, you see that the women, you look at the end of the passage in verse 14, you see that the women who had partnered with Jesus in his ministry all along were still with them. You see that Jesus' Mother Mary and that his siblings are there as well. If you go on and read verse 15, you see that there's actually about 120 people who, who are involved in what the apostles are doing. So God's God's spirit empowering an individual is never just about that individual. When God is in your life, it is not just about you. It is about you, but it's about the people around you also. The second thing I want to say is that Luke is revealing in verse 8 when Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the end of the earth. Luke is laying out the progression of his entire letter. You, what you have right now is a very basic sneak peek of the entire plot of the book of Acts. Jesus is telling his apostles, this is what's going to happen through your life and in your ministry. As Galileans, right, the the angels refer to them as men of Galilee. Well, as Galileans, Jesus says, you're not going to go back to Galilee. You're not going home. You're going to stay here in the city. Jerusalem was a strategic place to begin the spread of the gospel. It'd be as if Jesus had said to us, I don't want you to go back to Carroll County. I want you to stay here in Baltimore. I want you to stay here in Annapolis. You're going to wait and you're going to begin here. We're going to start here. But then he says they're going to expand into Judea. That's the broader region. That's the broader culture. That's their broader culture, okay, the area of Judea. It would be as if Jesus said to you and me, okay, from Baltimore or from Annapolis, you're going to expand out. Into Maryland, into the counties, to Anne Arundel County, to Harford County, to Howard County, to Prince Prince George's County, Montgomery County. I still don't want you to go back to Carroll County yet. But you're going to go out into Maryland. Now, he says to them, you're going to go to Samaria. Now, the Samaritans were the marginalized rivals and enemies of the Jews. If you're familiar with J.K. Rowling's writings... The Jews saw the Samaritans as mudbloods, okay? They were second-class Jews. And these people groups did not like each other. They despised one another. And Jesus says, you're going to go to Samaria too. It would be as if Jesus said to you, if if you are a middle-class white American who has spent much of your life in Maryland, in the suburbs, it would be as if Jesus said to you, you are going to go into Baltimore and I am sending you to Sandtown. I'm sending you to the east side of D.C. I'm sending you back to Westminster, and I want you to minister on Main Street between the railroad tracks and McDaniel College. I'm sending you to Monroe Street. I'm sending you to John Street, all the streets around where we worship. That's what Jesus is saying to his apostles. And then finally, he says, oh, it would be like saying to the Montagues, I want you to go reach the Capulets. It would be like saying to Red Sox fans, I want you to reach Yankees fans, which speaks to me. He also says to the end of the earth, you will be my witnesses to the end of the earth. Now to the apostles, to, 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 to the Jews growing up in ancient Palestine, the end of the, the, end of the earth was, was like Rome itself. The heart and soul of the Western world. It'd be like Jesus saying to you, you're going to go to New York City. You're going to go to DC. You're going to go to London or or to Paris. I'm I'm sending you to Lagos. I'm sending you to Tehran. I'm sending you to Beijing. That's where this is going to end. It's going that far. So, you begin to see that God's original promise 2,000 years before this, God's promise to Abraham to bless all people groups through his seed, through his descendant being Jesus, you now see that God's promise, ancient promise to Abraham, is really beginning to come into focus. Sometimes, God gives you a sense of direction, like Abraham. And he says, I'm not going to give you any of the details. Get up and go. Sometimes God gives you a sense of direction and then sits on you. Right when you're excited and willing and ready to move. And he sits on you and says, you're not going anywhere right now. That's what's happening here. If you notice, the passage says that they all went back. They went back to this upper room, this famous upper room that they were staying in. They went back. And the passage, Luke tells us they waited. They didn't just wait. It says they waited and devoted themselves to prayer. And it says that they were unified. Unified, praying, but waiting. I was reading the, the old preacher James Boyce's commentary on the book of Acts. And he said, he wrote, when I began to study and preach on the book of Acts, I was struck by the rapid, amazing growth of the early church. Humanly speaking, it had nothing going for it. It had no money, no proven leaders, no technological tools for propagating the gospel. And it faced enormous obstacles. It was utterly new. It taught truths that were incredible to the unregenerate world. It was subject to the most intense hatreds and persecutions, yet, As Luke records its growth, it spread from Jerusalem, which was an obscure corner of the world, to Rome, the world's capital, all within the lifetime of the first generation of believers living during the lifetime of our Lord. And this progression that that Boyce writes about, this amazing progression in a single, think of a movement Think of a movement that is worldwide and how long it has taken for that movement to grow. This all happens, Boyce says, within the lifetime of the people involved in the accounts. And that all happened within a lifetime of people who had seen the risen Jesus Christ. And this progression is taking place because the Spirit of God was working through people who were unified And who prayed waiting for God to move first. Okay, the reason as a church, as a young church, we're going to look at the book of Acts for the next several months is because this has got to be our habit. Of being unified and in prayer, waiting for God to move first. There, There is no better method for gospel progress for, the, for God to progress in the world through his people, there, there is no better method than to be unified in prayer, waiting for God to move first, and then we respond. There's, there's no other way for spiritual progress. We wait together in prayer for God's spirit to move, and then we move. Then we respond in faith to the movement of God's spirit. What stifles the progress of Christianity in the world, what stifles the growth of Christians, what stifles the growth of the church, for any ministry for that matter, I think, where the lack of progress comes from is we develop the wrong ideas, we ask the wrong questions, and we pray the wrong prayers. The apostles, once again, um, uh, they give us a really good picture of ourselves. They seem to do that very well throughout the Gospels. And you see that again in the first chapter of Acts. You will not see it that much as the story progresses. The risen Lord Jesus is teaching them, appearing to them, uh, but they're still thinking in the old way. And what they say, do you realize verse 8, right? The mission, you will be my witnesses here and there and everywhere to the ends of the earth, do you realize it's an answer to a question that the apostles had? And here was their question. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? That is a loaded question. John Calvin, uh, hundreds of years ago, wrote about this question. He said, when the apostles had been diligently instructed by the space of three whole years, they betray no less ignorance than if they had never heard a word. There are as many errors in this question as words. Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? At this time? Lord, we want you to work now. We want you to move now. We want to see results right now. We're ready to go. Please now. Would you do it now, Lord? That was the first mistake. The next mistake is... Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Restore the kingdom. What's God's kingdom? Jesus talked about the kingdom of God more than anything else when he taught. The kingdom of God is God's reign, God's rule coming to bear on a broken world. The kingdom of God is a a spiritual idea that is growing and growing into a physical reality in time and space in human history. Through Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God, the influence of God, the justice and love and power and reconciliation of God is invading the human experience because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the kingdom of God as you begin to see it unfold in the gospels. And here they're saying, are you going to bring back? Are you going to restore the kingdom? What they mean is, Lord, bring back the glory days, the days of Solomon, the days of David. Get rid of the Romans, will you? They're driving us crazy. We haven't had our own place for centuries. Lord, restore to us our political sovereignty. Restore to us a bill of rights. That's really what they're asking Jesus to do. But they also say, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? To Israel. What they're really saying here is, Lord, when are you going to promote our interests? Lord, when are you going to preserve our ethnic identity and promote our social agendas and secure our national safety? Can you relate to their question? We pursue plans. This is how we operate by default. This is, this is what it means to move forward before God moves. We pursue plans that really benefit us, right? We, the things we plan, the things that we prepare, the things we give all our time and money and effort and thought to, they're really benefiting us and our people. Most of our plans are plans to benefit us or our family or our subculture, our people group, the people we most identify with. Much of our personal plan is self-protecting. Well, thank God that his spirit is the agent of power and progress. Because you see here in verse 6, if it were left to the apostles, nothing would have happened, right? Nothing would have happened if it was up to them. And we know that based on the question that they asked him. So let me ask you a question. I want you to think about it this week. Are you pursuing a life plan that simply benefits you and your people? Whoever, whatever that means, whatever you and your people means, whether it's your family or, or your sports team, or your neighborhood, or, or your people, the people that look like you, or talk like you, or think like you, are you pursuing a life plan that is simply benefiting you and your people? We need to ask this question. Will Deep Run Church simply be concerned with its own endeavors? Will we as a church simply be concerned with the ministry opportunities and the endeavors and the practices that simply benefit us and not the world around us? Will, will, will... Community groups, we're, we're pushing and we talk about get in a community group, get in a community group, and, and, and I mean that. But will our community groups simply be about us and our friends, our Christian friends, and us studying the Bible for ourselves? Will our worship services simply be about us getting together and enjoying our time with one another? Will the projects... We prepare and the opportunities we take simply be about us as a group of people enjoying ourselves and encouraging one another. Um, will we be an outpost? Will we remain a gospel outpost? The word outpost implies that there's more ground to gain. The word output, outpost implies that there are still people to be reached. There are still problems by the spirit of God that need to be solved. Fortress, fortress implies self-protection in a hostile territory, doesn't it? The bad news is as long as this church exists, we will be tempted to move out of an outpost mentality into a fortress mentality. We will be tempted to want to upgrade and go after a renovation. It's time to move out of the outpost and really, really solidify our place here and make ourselves a fortress. We will always be tempted to move from one into the next. I want to say that the good news is this, that God is still going to, even if we do that, and I hope we don't, and I pray we don't, and I hope you don't, and I hope I don't as Christians, that we simply exist to protect our interests The good news is that God's going to accomplish his plan anyway, regardless of what I'm planning and what you're planning for your life, what I'm planning for this church as its pastor. God's going to have his way anyway. Even if I'm on the wrong track and and I make bad decisions, God is going to accomplish his work through his spirit. But it's, he's going to do it in his way. He's going to do it in his time. Now, There's a parallel passage to the first chapter of Acts. The last chapter of Luke, you have a different perspective on this same event, this ascension. Luke chapter 24, Jesus said to the same people, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Now, all nations there, it means all people groups, right? Not political borders. Proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. And he said, you are witnesses of these things. There's that word again. You're witnesses of all that's happened in, in me. Here's the good news. You are proof that God fulfills his promises. You, if you're a Christian and you're here today, you are proof that God accomplishes what he sets out to accomplish despite human intervention. Despite our plans, despite us having the wrong plans and asking for the wrong things and praying in an unhelpful way. Despite the fact that quite often the church is disunified. God accomplishes his plans because you're sitting here today in the name of Jesus, worshiping him. And listening to his word. You're the proof. Do you realize that you and I in Christ are the ultimate beneficiaries of this promise? Do you realize that you are the ends of the earth? We don't think, we don't think that way because this is the center of our world for us. But if, if, if you are a blue-collar Jew living in Palestine 2,000 years ago. Across the Atlantic Ocean to a continent they didn't know existed. You and I are the end of the earth. We are proof that Jesus accomplished what he set out to accomplish by his spirit and through his apostles and uh, through all those who are part of the endeavor of what his apostles have been about, including you and me. So literally across the centuries, across continents and oceans and people groups and cultures and languages, the witness came directly to you, friend. God accomplishes his plan. And the message, the, met, the message, the witness is about a man who did not serve his own interests. The witness is about a man whose simple plan was to say, Father, your will be done, not mine. If I have anything that motivates me and generates my excitement, it's following your word and accomplishing what you have asked me to accomplish The reason we're sitting here today, 2000 years after Jesus uttered these words is because it all it's all based on the fact that Jesus put his own plan aside. Now you put your sides, you put your plan aside and you become part of the chain of witnesses that have been talking about this man for 2000 years. Until he returns and he's going to return and say, he said this in a parable, well done, good and faithful servants. We have an opportunity in Christ as a church to work towards hearing those words someday. When Jesus returns and says to you or says to us, well done, good and faithful servants. You put aside your own plans. And you allowed you you let me work. You let me move first and then you responded in faith. This doesn't mean you stop working at your job, doesn't mean you, you you quit school. No, but where you are in what you're doing, be unified with his people, be in a posture of prayer, and wait for him to move, and then you respond. The Spirit of God acts, the people of God respond. And that's a good pattern for life if you're living by faith. And my hope is that we will We will follow that pattern. We will continue to follow that pattern as a church. So let's wait in prayer, unified, for God's Spirit to move, but according to His purposes. And be patient. Let's let Him work in His time and in His way. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the witness, the witness of Jesus Christ who died for our sins, who came alive again by the power of your spirit to testify that you are offering forgiveness and reconciliation, that you offer it to us. Father, thank you for allowing us to be a part of your plan. We ask for the kind of faith that doesn't uh, disrupt what you're doing. We know you're going to accomplish your purposes anyway because you're so amazing. Because your ways and your knowledge are perfect. Uh, but Father, we we don't want to keep tripping up. Uh, we, we don't want to continue to be frustrated and discouraged and confused. We don't want to work against what you're doing. Uh, so establish us in unity. Establish us in Faith-based prayer that allows you to set our agenda. Father, uh, Lord, we we praise you that here at the ends of the earth, you are still working even through us. And we ask now as we think about what it means for us to be in Jerusalem and then to move out from there uh, to further unreached people and places, maybe right even here in our community. Father, we ask for faith, for eyes that see what you see. Uh, this is our joy, Lord, to be a part of what you're doing. Help us to trust in the power of the Spirit and not in our own strength. And teach us what he would have us understand as we begin to read this account of how the apostles, by the Spirit of God, changed the world. Uh, Lord, give us hope in your name. Amen. Amen.